0: To the Retail Razor Show, where
1: your expert hosts and their guests cut through the clutter in retail and retail tech to shape the future of retail.
2: Hello, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Whatever time of day you're listening, welcome, welcome to Season 1, Episode 12 of the Retail Razor Show. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar, Rethink Retail, Top Retail Influencer, and Lead Partner Marketing Advisor for Retail and Consumer Goods at Microsoft.
3: And I'm your co-host, Casey Golden, CEO of LuxLock. I'm obsessed between the relationship of brands and consumers. The experience is everything. I spent my career on the fashion side and supply chain technology of the business. Now I'm slaying Frankenstocks to power the future of farmers.
2: Well, Casey, this episode, we've got another amazing clubhouse discussion to share. And the topic is social commerce. Definitely one of the buzziest trends going on in retail right now. And of course, one of our 2022 predictions.
3: I'm not surprised that our predictions keep working out this year. <laughs> no uh, we really hit a groove and dug into fundamental challenges to find these opportunities. I hate that I missed this Clubhouse session. It's just a real treat for our listeners.
2: Yes, indeed it is. And keeping with last episode's example, we had two guests join the Retail Avengers team this time in Clubhouse. First, we had Mohamed Amer, member of multiple retail tech advisory boards, a retail wire brain trust member, and former global head of strategic communications for consumer industries at SAP. And second, a frequent friend of the Retail Avengers on Clubhouse, Darius Viseffi, the co founder and CEO of Visional Commerce, host of the Retail Tech Podcast, and frequent contract chief product officer. Plus, from our regular Retail Avengers team, we had Brandon Rail, Shish Shridhar, and Jeff Roster joining.
3: You guys took a deep dive on the value of current social commerce platforms and really identifying what works, what doesn't, and how live streaming is a centerpiece to this equation. I can't wait to listen and come back here and chat some more about it. Plus, we've got a repeat visitor to the show, Alicia Esposito from Retail Touchpoints joining us for the recap.
2: And spoiler alert, our recap will have a few surprise discussion points that listeners will not see coming. So stick around.
3: I thought I was the one that takes us off script.
2: No, I can do it too. You know, we have equal hosting privileges and everything.
3: (laughs) In that case, let's go straight to the clubhouse session. Let's listen into the Retail Avengers and the future of social commerce.
2: Welcome everyone to the Retail Razor Club. Our session today is the Retail Avengers and the future of social commerce. So let me move into doing some introductions here for the folks we have up on stage. I'm Ricardo Belmar. I founded the Retail Razor Club here on Clubhouse, and I've been in the retail tech side of the industry for a better part of the last two decades, working for different technology providers and managed service providers. Most recently, joined Microsoft as a senior partner marketing advisor for retail and consumer goods. So I'm going to move across the stage here. Darius, why don't you introduce yourself?
0: Hey, Ricardo, and everybody else, uh, good friends and audience. Thanks for having me. My name is Darius Wasafi. I am co-founder CEO of a company called Visional Commerce, as well as a startup studio called Infinity Ventures. My passion is e-commerce and retail, especially retail tech, the picks and shovels of what makes retail and e-commerce move forward. So we look forward to our interesting conversation today. All right. Thanks, Darius. So and we have another
2: guest speaker today, Mohammed.
0: Thank you very much, Ricardo. Mohamed Amir in Southern California, Ventura area.
4: And I've been in retail, retail technology for the past about two decades, similar to you. And most of that time in the large enterprise space with, uh, with SAP. Great. Thank you, Jeff.
5: Jeff Roster, former retail sector analyst for Gartner and IHL, now a co-host on This Week in Innovation, and serving on several advisory boards in retail. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Shish? Good afternoon, Shish. I've been in retail for about 20 years, working with the retailers, specifically around
1: AI, IoT analytics. I'm currently the retail lead for Microsoft startups, and I'm building out a portfolio of innovative, disruptive startups.
6: Thank you. Thanks, Shish. And Brandon? Everyone, happy Friday. Brandon Rail, I'm up in the, uh, the New York area, been in and around the retail consumer industry my whole career. And then, maybe shift over to the digital transformation work on the strategy side to help enable and empower retailers and consumer companies to accelerate growth and uh, pivot to the new digital world we live in today. All right, great. Thanks, Brandon.
2: So, what do we mean when we say social commerce? When you hear those words, start thinking immediately about all of the big social media platforms, places like Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Pinterest. Even Twitter is now getting into the idea of social commerce. You're probably familiar with Facebook shops and Instagram as those have launched over recent years. And we also hear more about social commerce because of activities coming out of China. And as it moves into Western countries, we hear about live streaming and uh, other specialized platforms that maybe focus around particular retail segments like apparel. And all of these things play together to enable an ability to have commerce just like you want on your e-commerce site, but natively within some kind of social networking platform. So I wanted to share some stats just to put some of this into context, and then maybe we can go around and see what everyone's reactions are to that. A number of these stats come from eMarketer. So for example, China's estimated social commerce sales are going to be somewhere on the order of 315 billion. And social commerce will represent about 13% of all e-commerce sales in China. If we look at what's been happening in the U.S., eMarketer, had an interesting forecast that so this year, we should see social commerce sales rise up to about $36 billion, which is an increase of about 35%, and will represent about 4.3% of all retail e-commerce sales. Let me go around to the stage here and just get everyone's reaction. Darius, I want to start with you. What, what do you think about those
0: stats? So I think definitely the difference between China and the U.S. I, it's something that I've also heard now, uh, one thing that I, I don't know as much about the details of what e-marketer means by social commerce It's i guess one one question that i would just like put out there but i think if we make an assumption that they are talking about transactions made on some form of social media channel and then the definition of what do they think what these social media channels is another thing we can probably talk about later but i think the numbers sound good and actually i mean the u.s definitely makes sense 4.3 percent that sounds about right because it's just getting started here in
2: my understanding reading through the e-marketer report they are considering these to be any transactions originating from social media platforms which they view right now the leaders in that being Facebook, Instagram, but also up and coming from Pinterest, Twitter, and Snapchat.
5: What do we do with live streaming though? Is that, I mean, I know that is social commerce, but that really isn't a social platform. It's a digital media platform, but. Yeah, I view live streaming, like you said, Jeff, as hundred percent part of
2: social commerce. Now, some of that live streaming might originate from those social platforms that I could do a live stream through Instagram or Facebook, but also there are lots of options that have nothing to do with those networks that are native platforms that retailers can use for live streaming. I'm not clear myself how eMarketer is tracking those, but I thought it was interesting to take a look at these stats and for us to consider, do we think that's, is that a reasonable number? Do we think that it might grow faster than that? Do we think that's too aggressive? And you're right. It does depend on what we're including in that count.
0: Yeah. The term social and the fact that it only has to take place on a social network is probably incomplete and even looking towards 2025. That, I kind uh, of agree with that. yeah. Go on, uh, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's basically what I wanted to throw in there is that if that's the only channels that we're looking at for the definition of social commerce, I think it's not enough and it's going to change,
6: really? and we'll probably yep. come back and revisit it. I, yeah, and Darius and, and she's, I completely agree. I think the culture and where China and, and most of the Asian countries are with, with WeChat is everything is integrated with the one major platform. All social, all commerce, all interactions, all financial. And transactions take place in one app, centralized and seamless, and at real time and, and, and accelerated lightning speed. Whereas we're just we're finally embracing that paradigm shift and you know seeing the emergence of Instagram shop now capabilities, and Facebook and TikTok shop now capabilities, and live streaming starting to gain momentum. But China certainly has such a far advantage, way ahead of the, of the rest of the world, it couldn't the US. Yeah, I tend to agree that, you know, the, the social
1: network platforms, the social media platforms is one aspect of it, but really the social aspect of shopping and all of the capabilities and technologies available today that enable social within within shopping, I think, is another element. And what I mean by that is one of the very early startups that I worked with, this was a few years ago, they built a platform where when you're researching a product in a store and you look at product feedback, you're not sure whether the feedback is fraud is or not. Rather, you want to have feedback from your network. What does your network think about it? What do your friends think about it? And what they really built was this QR codes where when you scan it, it will filter out your network and their opinion about a product. And that was a social element to it as well, where there was that social trust element that was brought in that enabled you to make decisions on what product is good and look at a trusted network to tell you this is good or it's not and, and give you some feedback. And that was the, the early one I saw a few years ago and also a few years ago when uh, smart mirrors were popular there were startups that were building network interfaces into the smart mirrors so when you're trying out outfits virtually you could pretty much ping your network for opinions on it and and ratings and rankings and there was that social element to the shop which was which was sort of a physical and digital combination. The other thing that I also worked with, this was a startup called Spot. They were looking at shoppable media. So really looking at, you know, influencers and and Instagram, Pinterest feeds, and then using Vision AI to detect products within either images or video. And when you're, when you're watching the video or looking at these streams from your network, you could actually find products and shop the products directly from the media so that is again something that's prevalent and that is again a capability that the social networks are adopting but it doesn't have to be social networks it could be on any media and of course the other element that i see as well is the the chatbots chatbots are increasingly becoming a way in which and as they're getting better It is becoming a way in which shoppers can interface with a chatbot and find what they want, get recommendations and interact and engage through a chatbot as well. I think all of these capabilities are not necessarily connected with a social media network, but do have a social aspect to it. And I kind of believe the same with live streaming as well.
5: Yeah. So really interesting, Shish, do you see then chatbots in that social commerce component and then what about call centers? Well, so call centers,
1: one of the developments that we've been seeing is that combination of chatbot and human elements in call centers. But at the same time, there is a chatbot that is listening in, transcribing, looking for questions, looking for the intent of the questions from customers, finding recommendations and providing it to the human who's at the call center to be able to provide recommendations and things like that. So that's, again, one element. Of his thing for call centers.
4: So, Ricardo, I kind of take a a, a different avenue or out of when we're talking about social commerce, at least the way the numbers have been set up and looking at the statistics, I believe also. These are really social platforms, the way that we know, most of us know social platforms, the Instagrams, the Facebooks, and, and so on, and Twitter trying to get into that with their new shopping module. And... That's the same number that eMarketer was talking about that 36 billion this year, uh, which had surged 39% during the the lockdown. So clearly they're looking at where people are spending their time and uh, they're combining where you're spending your time, where you're getting where you're comfortable and trust the platform. When we're online, there's kind of a risk element. When we're making a purchase, you're wondering, are you really getting what you want or not? But when you back that up by a platform or a social platform that you already trust, you've been using it, you're familiar with it, has a reputation, then all of a sudden it takes some of that risk away and it allows you to go on the early steps of, you know, the metaverse where now you're, you're doing things that you would do in the real world, but now you're doing it in, the, in a social platform and shopping is a social activity. It's as well as a functional thing that we all need to do.
2: I agree with you on that. What is social commerce trying to mimic for us? And in some ways, I look at it as it's trying to take what was a a straight e-commerce experience, which I think I would describe as somewhat a detached shopping experience. Because shopping is a social activity and it, it normally involves some human interaction, at least in the way that we're all used to, although you could make an argument about different age demographics and how they view what a social human shopping experience may be. But I see social commerce as trying to in effect bridge a gap between taking what would have otherwise been e-commerce and making it a more, as the words imply, social, but therefore more more human interaction in commerce. So doing things like what we've mentioned, making media shoppable. Uh, There's some startups doing some dedicated, uh, I'll call them social networks, but I think maybe they're a little bit different. Um, MeSpoke is one that that I see often where it's designed to allow you to shop any of the things you see in images or videos posted uh, in the app. And they actually link back to brands. So they have a connection that goes to a brand to help you shop directly from them, because you see that item on someone, you say, I want this. And that's how you would be able to to shop for it. So another way of looking at it, which I think is also interesting, is that this is another mechanism to search for items. So if we think about search, and I think we've all heard stats anywhere from, you know, 65, 70, 80% of product searches, people would just naturally go to Amazon to search before they even go to Google to search. But if you think about how often do you search for products? on social media. And I've seen some surveys that actually show that uh, as much as 70% of consumers will say they search for products they want to buy on Instagram and Facebook, which tells me that that's almost as much as people use Amazon as their go-to for product search. So if you're starting your search on social, where do you go from there? Do do you want to, as a consumer immediately be able to buy when you find it there? Or do you want to click through to an e-commerce site and have a more traditional transactional interaction at that point? Uh, what what I think is interesting is these same surveys, that will tell you 70% of consumers start their uh, search for products on Instagram or Facebook and the same surveys ask, well, would you buy directly a a product from within a platform like Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, Pinterest and so forth. And the numbers drop then you see numbers like 30% say that uh, of people will actively buy. But if you break it into demographics, then you say, well, what about millennials? Millennials will say more than 50% of them are willing to buy that way. So I'll ask everyone what your impression of that is.
0: Okay. So here's a question from what you actually mentioned. If I go to a website and I purchase an item based from a video that's on the website, even if I can click on it and it can actually drill down, for example, a wardrobe into different parts of it, are we considering that a social commerce? I would not. I would say that's part of the website. That's the, that's classic
5: to me as a Classic e-commerce. It, if it takes you to the website first,
0: yeah, no, just because through. it's a video, just because it's a clickable video on a website. Oh uh, no, wait a minute, what whose website? Yeah, uh, uh,
2: what, what kind? That of, that, right. that person's right.
0: website, that brand's website, web, no, website. No, That's e-commerce. Yeah, I, I, I would. If I agree. If it's, I agree. it's I agree their, with their website, website e-commerce. it's
5: e-commerce. Yeah.
2: yeah. Okay, but <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think in this I case, agree. if you saw that video on Instagram and while you were okay. watching yeah. it on Instagram, you click and buy it without having to click through to the brand's e-commerce site, then I'd consider that transaction as social
5: commerce. Exactly. I agree.
0: Okay. But so, so again, we're talking a little bit more de- definitions here. If you, if you see something on Instagram and it takes you to that brand's website and they make a purchase off Instagram, that's, you don't, that's not considered social commerce.
2: If you have to click through to the brand's e-commerce site, their their existing e-commerce site, I, I would consider that a standard e-commerce that was just a click through social host.
0: even though it was, okay. okay. So it's a transaction. So it seems like it's the, where the transaction actually happens is how it's where It's location. If it's 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 local
5: commerce website, then it's e-commerce. If it's off the e-commerce website, then it's social. I would say even, even the same video, I would think.
2: Yeah, I think in, in one instance, we're talking about a referral process, right? Where my click through from, say, a Facebook post referred me to the brand's website and that's where I completed the transaction. So in that scenario, I'd call that an e-commerce transaction, not a social. But if I was in a Facebook shop and I never have to leave that Facebook interface to complete the transaction, that I would consider a social commerce. hundred percent. I'll give you some other interesting stats since we're on this point. And I'm glad you brought this up guys. If you think about a way to measure how valuable could this be, right? How much could it grow? There's one argument to be made that I'm, I'm reducing some friction in the process. If I can just complete that transaction natively in the social platform, I don't have to click through to an e-commerce site. I don't have to do any of the things I do on a normal e-commerce site to put payment information in or any of those things. So in a way I've reduced the friction in completing that purchase I did find the following numbers kind of interesting so if you were to track now this would be based on referrals click-throughs through social so from facebook or twitter clicking through and if you were to measure what's the average transaction value of transactions came through those click throughs for the different social platforms i think it's interesting to see which ones generate more valuable transactions so i'll give you a few examples from facebook customers referred through facebook see an average order of 55 dollars if you go to twitter the average value is $46.29. And it's worth noting that that Twitter click-through rate for this type of commerce is about somewhere between 1% and 3%. If you are on Instagram and, and want to know what's the what's the average value of click-through from Instagram, it's $65. So it's even higher than Facebook. And if you see a click-through from a YouTube video, that's only about $37. So there are differences today in the types of things people will click through within these different platforms.
0: Yeah, that's a very interesting, this, this, I guess, different. Definitely the product category And the pricing makes a difference, especially like what I've seen personally on a lot of what is being sold in China and on a lot of social live streaming. I guess I'm talking more about live streaming. It's a lot of lower priced items. I have not seen any high priced considered purchases being sold yet on that, on especially like the the one-to-many, the public type of live streaming. And I don't know if that translates across all social or not. Darius, in China you're talking about or in here in the U.S.? Both, both. I mean, if you if you go to Amazon Live right now, you go to Facebook Live Shop, you'll see the kind of products that are being sold over there.
5: I mean, I don't know enough about the China market to comment on that that bit of nuance, but here in the U.S., I think we're still so, so early in this whole evolution of social commerce that I would expect the items that are really going to push on social are going to be fairly low priced, immediate kind of purchase engagements. I think that we, as we evolve in that, I think that's going to change pretty dramatically. But I just can't imagine a complex purchase being done through social. It can start the process and then lead to the website where there's more engagement yet to be determined though.
2: Yeah, I think there is something to the category. I'll give you another a data point there. And I think this is uh, U.S. In 2020, apparel made up just under 22% of the total social commerce revenue. So a little over a fifth. Just thinking in terms of what items are people more inclined to buy in social commerce. I view it as it needs to be more of an impulse buy. Something has to entice me either in the visual that I'm seeing, whether it's a photo or a video clip, or if it's a live stream, something about the the way that product is shown or described has to make me want to buy it right now in a slightly more enticing way than just looking at a product page on e-commerce and without having a desire to go physically see it and touch it in a store. So I, I think it's an interesting thing to consider luxury items. How would luxury items do in this scenario? Do we think that there's a future for true luxury apparel, for example, or some of the more aspirational luxury brands selling significant numbers this way? Or is it more, you know, maybe Darius, to your point of what you see in China, that it's more lower cost items? I would imagine that's low cost. And also
1: the target demographic, I think, is primarily Gen Z. And from that perspective, my opinion is lower cost and apparel seems like the most likely I see a point about there's certain things you want to try out and not necessarily the kind of thing you want to buy on a social platform without touching it, seeing it, trying it out. But I believe for low cost, fast fashion,
5: that's probably a good fit. But if you add in live streaming, I think that changes. Cause I dang near bought a thousand dollar lens from BNH photo hundred percent because of live streaming. Now I would have, you know, I have bought 2,000 thousand dollar lenses through chat and just the website because without trying them out, but that live streaming is so sticky in that kind of a, that kind of an app. So you're basically just talking about a digital sales engagement and that I absolutely can see becoming very high-end.
0: So from my, from my point of view, that it depends on the format. There is two key formats for live streaming. One is the one-to-many like which is the QVC style. You have one person setting up this show, highly curated and many people watching. Then there is the private live streaming. And I think that they're completely different and they're also different in the product category. So that's what we do uh, at Visual is private live streaming. And we only focus on the top end or the considered purchases, things that are not just impulse purchases and we're the advice of somebody, a human being on the other side, makes the shopper not only buy something better, actually buy more, buy a whole wardrobe instead of just buying a shirt when they thought they just wanted a shirt. So I think it depends on, on the format, but there is a definite potential for everything.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. I think I just saw a, a retail dive article that Stitch Fix is planning to beef up their one-to-one live video sessions as a way of increasing their sales.
0: Yeah, but they're still working on. So the, the challenge with Stitch Fix is that it's still an e-commerce company. So they are, I don't know how they're going to handle that. I've, I've tried this actually with Lululemon, which is another forerunner in trying to bring live into the commerce. And basically what you're connecting with is somebody in their home. Again, running through a catalog with you. They don't have products to show you now. Maybe Stitch Fix is going to improve on that and actually have some products that people can look at, but if they're doing it from their home, there is no way they can have access to the inventory and the experience of the store. So that's something that I'm interested to learn how they do it.
6: I think there's a certain delicate balance between the highly produ- high production value live streaming, but also remaining authentic with a micro-influencer, or real, real, real shoppers. So how do you balance those two together so that it's more authentic and that's really lifestyle driven approach versus, and it has some level of production value. I mean, TikTok is it's a fascinating platform, not necessarily for live streaming, but just the, the amount of creativity and innovation that's coming out of there. The, the videos and, and it's resonate with the current generation of shoppers and that's emerging. So yeah, I, I agree with Darius saying that the ones that don't have your home access to the physical store really Merging those two experiences together, it's a, it, it's a delicate balance.
4: And like in an the example, I'm, I'm sorry, Darius. So just in the example that Jeff was mentioning the $1,000 lens from BNH, you start out with, there is a, a comfort level, a trust factor that he has with that company must've made some purchases before or their reputation or online reviews, and you're more comfortable about making that, I don't know, high ticket purchase item. Given that you can see the details about the product, you can ask questions, performance, specs, and and that's something again, that can be, can come to life very well in a video commerce setting.
5: And Mohammed, you're a hundred percent right. The best camera shop in America, in my opinion, excellent return policy, beautiful website, super knowledgeable people, a hundred percent. You're a hundred percent right. That's why that, that. Video streaming is so, so such a slam dunk for that organization. And by the way, the actual live streaming was, was pretty poor quality. I, I think they literally probably just set it, set up a camera and out they were going, nothing like what Darius is working with and, and developing, but just the concept alone was enough for me to say, wow, I can really see how this is going to work.
2: Well, and a related point to that, that's, that's making me think about Jeff. So this was already a trusted retail brand for you. If I separate uh, the live streaming from this, if I'm just thinking of social commerce and and its ability to add more merchants to it, right? What do we think is happening as far as returns, for example? We we know, you know, e-commerce has an issue with return rates in various product categories. Don't you think that in social commerce, this could actually get worse in terms of how you're going to handle returns?
5: I would think it might be maybe a little bit better other than other than apparel. I I just, I think the more, the more knowledge you get about a part or a lens or, or anything along those lines, hopefully the less returns you're going to have other again than apparel where it's about size and fit and look and all that sort of stuff. I don't think it's a driver though, Ricardo. I don't think, I don't think social commerce is a driver.
2: That's probably true. I guess what I'm thinking of is if you're searching for products in social commerce, well, I'll put it this way. It's, not all that different from a problem you might have with Amazon marketplace sellers, where you do a search and you get a hundred different results, right? And they're from 99 different uh, sellers you've never heard of, but how do you choose, which one do you want? And same thing on, on any social commerce uh, platform, if I'm searching by product and I see a big num- number of merchants come back, I don't know who any of them are, how am I going to choose? And am I taking my chances when I pick one? If I say, decide to pick it on price, just like I would with a marketplace. Am I going to have an issue if I have a problem with later? Do I know that it's an authentic product? Am I going to have an issue with fake products in this space? Where is is the quality control there? I'm
0: curious what everybody thinks about these issues. So if we're talking specifically about return, I think definitely the more snap judgment is involved in the making of transaction, the more the returns are going to be probably so. If you are, again, I don't have exact data from any places, but uh, what I do know is that like for us, when we've done sales, when you build a relationship with a person on the other end, actually, the number of returns actually become less than really like the 50% that you're seeing in apparel on e-commerce. So I don't know if that answers your question, Ricardo, or did I miss a part of it? Yeah,
2: no, I think you're, you're getting it exactly at it. So for example, if I bring the live streaming component back into this, that having the ability to build the relationship first, which is how I'm viewing the live streaming component to this, that's going to help, I believe in, in building that trust factor, building some authenticity with the customer versus just scrolling through a series of product posts on a social platform, which is in, in some ways, almost the same thing that you'd be doing on just a standard e-commerce marketplace. You're just scrolling through a lot of products and, and a social platform. So there isn't anything additive, I would argue there that helps enhance trust or authenticity. I'll throw another variable into this that we haven't talked about yet, because I think another thing that we see come up quite often in any discussion on social commerce is influencers, especially around live stream. I'm sure everybody's seen the the crazy photos from China, where there are influencers standing in front of 500 different phones and ring lights of uh, all these influencer videos being done to promote different products. So influencers have a role to play, I think in this social commerce space. Where do you see that? You know, is this, I'll ask this the question here, is it more or less, does it affect how retailers and brands should be viewing social commerce? So I'm going to bring in China
4: in the, for, to address that question. You know, in China, there's a outfit called Little Red Book. How appropriate, huh? And they are doing a lot of, you know, facilitating social commerce. And they're basically aimed at uh, Gen Z and millennials and They, they have even been able to live stream with Vuitton. So even a luxury retailer is getting on board in that. And what I was getting to is their influencers are called key opinion leaders, KOLs, and uh, they pair that with uh, a blog post. So they, they bring the personality, the influencer, the expertise, the live streaming, the product. And they, they're creating an experience around around all that in a social yeah, commerce uh, factor.
6: Yeah, I think we're, again, the Muhammad makes an outstanding point. They are light years ahead of the, uh, of the West, or especially yeah. our country. We, we are just scratching the surface of social commerce and live streaming. This has been part of their culture and their and their commerce operating models for, for almost a decade now. And they have the technology, the infrastructure, but, and I think the centralization of, of commerce via WeChat and, and Tencent and Alibaba really make, enables that to be possible. And there is really no disparate apps you need to go to, or different retailers that you know, go across and that influencer model will work so, so effectively in that, in their culture. And I think we'll, we'll get there eventually, but again, there's some, there's some regulatory factors to consider as well. If you have a monopoly, such as WeChat controlling it.
2: So what about platforms like TikTok, which I know Brandon, this is always a, a hot topic for you, what influence is TikTok having on the whole social commerce space? Oh, you called me up uh, I, I I know uh, this is one of your favorites. Yeah. <laughs> one of your favorite topics.
6: It is. I, I think there's just some fatigue overall with Facebook for many reasons and a fatigue almost with Instagram because the lack of storytelling, everyone's showing the perfect state of the world on Instagram. And I think TikTok is the algorithm is built to, to match the trends and the, the news and, and all the creator, the creators that come out of that, the innovations come out of that, that the retailers and brands have started to pay Close attention to this and find ways to monetize and commercialize off of just the the rapid expansion of TikTok as as a presence in our culture. And it's not just Gen Z and the millennials; it's spanning all the generations. And there has to be a way for retailers like Louis Vuitton and others to capitalize and jump on the bandwagon because it's here, it's here and it's here to stay. And I think we'll have a lot more momentum on, on this side versus Facebook shopping or Instagram shop now capabilities like that. Those days are numbered. It's just the, the live streaming slash TikTok creative engines are, are off and running. So I think they'll have, have a significant presence and a significant factor in the customer's decision making, whether it's on the app or outside the app. It's going to be part of that customer journey for sure as they go across platforms. Yeah, we've seen Walmart
2: do. Was it two events now that they've done on TikTok?
6: Exactly. And that, that was probably the, the last retailer I ever thought would be on there, but. <laughs> We say we've underestimated Walmart for a decade now, but they Jet. dot com and the rapid yep. extension, e-commerce and their bopus and their digital first acceleration, they could do, and they have the power and, they, and their capital to do anything, and they proved it.
1: Well, there was a attempt by Walmart and Microsoft to acquire And and yep, there's right. a huge influence there. I mean, the whole thing about on video, I think that is driving a lot of engagement. And it is becoming a big content platform, even though today I think it's still Instagram and Facebook that's driving most of the sales. But TikTok is, from what I can tell, is growing very
2: fast. Very true. Yeah, I agree. And if you think of influencers on the platform and tie that back into the use of influencers for live streaming in this in support of social commerce i think that tiktok of any other of platforms probably has the, the greatest growth potential
6: brands and retailers have to go with the where the consumers are and where the consumer behaviors are and the consumer the consumers are engaging with content on tiktok or instagram that's where you need to be and then you're you know obviously i think we haven't done our due diligence or it has been studies on what the revenue potential is or opportunities are for the retailers but there is certainly a lot you can learn from this model and how you can leverage TikTok's growth and acceleration to grow your own revenues. Accelerations as well is go with, go where the customers are and they aren't necessarily in a physical store or not necessarily in the mall anymore, right? They're engaging content on TikTok. And, well,
2: and, and to that point, if the retailer or a brand is going to treat social commerce as if it were another channel. And uh, I know there's probably a lot of people shaking their head down the audience saying, oh no, no, we're going to talk about channels again. But at the end of the day, even though consumers don't think about channels, uh, I think it, it's just a fact that retailers, brands, they think in terms of channels because they have to know where to put their advertising money and where to put their marketing money, how they're going to generate a campaign to target customers. And they need some kind of a framework to be able to, to characterize it. So I'm just going to go with that for the moment and let's treat social commerce as a channel. And the reason I say that is every brand and retailer wants to measure their activities in that channel. So if I look at social commerce and live streaming, other, of course, than understanding what are the different analytics I'm looking for to help me understand whether I'm successful or not in social commerce. And more importantly, whether my customers are there.
0: So... I mean, as far as like live streaming for us, what we're looking at in in our format is the number of appointments, what appointment actually translates into a purchase, the amount of the purchase, the repeat visit from that same customer, even to the same agent, to the same store and the conversion, the order, the average order value. And, you know, maybe the, the maximum order value is really interesting. Also the type of products. So, I mean, all all of these metrics are things that we have to be measuring and monitoring. And then, of course, customer acquisition cost is what it gets to the marketing and what channels we go to.
6: I think that's the scalability is a a factor here. I think the the cost of acquiring new customers is significant, Darius, but can that be mitigated somewhat with the the expansion and the growth of of TikTok or Instagram, where there is lower carrying costs of acquiring new customers, the challenge is how do you make the content? authentic and, and satisfying enough to drive that conversion, to drive that engagement, to lead into actually the shopping journey. I think that traditional customer journey has been, it was so fragmented and, and now it's now it's originating in social commerce across many different paths. And it's not so linear anymore. It may start in social commerce, may end up in the store. It may start in the store and they can actually be engaging on the app or TikTok within the store itself and then make a final decision. So all those customer journey touch points across the, across the channels, digital and physical, matter, but like you said, it's about the average order value, the conversion rates, the turns, everything, everything you would consider from an e-commerce perspective that would really change what we used to talk about from a retail perspective, was inventory turns, gross margin percentage, EBITDA, which all are very relevant by that customer journey is it's so, so significantly different than it used to be. Yeah. It's a fractured buying journey and the
4: attribution problem continues with now the multiple. Paths that are available, and they can start anywhere, they can end anywhere. But social commerce, the way we defined it, is it ends for sure within that social platform. I think going where your targeted customer base that you're going after for that specific product, where they spend their time, that's the biggest nut that you need to, to crack, and whether that's a being TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, something else. And then, then you get to the content, creating the kind of content that, that that attracts them, that views them the right information they need, and how do you convert that into an actual transaction? And then the follow-on after
1: the sale to ensure that they're happy and talk well about it. So one of the areas that I'm seeing a lot of spike in, in the startup world is the emergence of social commerce platforms. These have plugins to all the popular social media networks. So TikTok and Instagram and Facebook, all of these, and as new ones emerge, they will have connectors to it. What really enables the brands to do is hook in their inventories and their product catalogs to it and enable creating embeddable links to, to social media. So if I'm an influencer on Instagram or TikTok, I can, I can, I can embed products through the social commerce platform. It is akin to the Amazon Associate tags, where the attribution goes to the Amazon associate and they're paid a percentage. So that same model is being applied to to social commerce as well. And being able to find and engage with influencers through that social commerce platform. And and that's something I'm seeing an emergence of. And also the The not necessarily reliance on a single network, but really looking at whatever network that the influencer is on, the brand is able to create that connector.
2: Yeah, that's that's an interesting point there, Shisha. So we've been talking about, I would say a pretty foundational aspect around social commerce and where it's headed from brands and retailers perspective. I'm curious what everyone thinks is going to happen in the startup community. I think everybody up here on stage has some experience in some form or another talking to different retail tech startups. Is social commerce, and, and you just mentioned a number of examples, Sheesh. are there other areas besides those you think that social commerce is going to see a lot of investment in, in retail tech? We've had this conversation before about oftentimes seeing a lack of investment in retail tech, but is social commerce one of those areas that may see a bigger share of that investment?
5: Well, bigger uh, share. a little yes. word. That's, I mean, depends, uh, you yeah. can't, in the nanosecond you start talking about artificial intelligence, you can't talk about bigger share. But that's because that share is so gigantic. Is it ripe for significant growth? She's going to love to hear this. Absolutely. 100%. And there's, there's very solid evidence then in the investment community, but it's, it's going to be nowhere near artificial intelligence.
0: So on the startup side, Ricardo, I personally think that we're going to see a major investment shift into. The companies that enable the next, I guess, generation of what we call—or what we don't want to call—omni-channel retailing is where the direct and deep integration within the social channels and the, the brand's own experiences are going to enable. I, I think about that as like the picks and shovels of making social commerce work and, in in general, retail work. I mean. If you look, let's say at 2025, right, we're looking at 2025, do you think that there's going to be any major retailer in 2025 that doesn't have some form of integration to at least the major social channels directly going into their inventory system and like the tracking and everything, analytics?
5: I would say the answer to that is if you're saying, well, that I'll be... A hundred percent, they will all not be. I can think of TJ Maxx. I doubt that ever happens. Probably two or three others, even in the tier ones. But the majority, as long as you say the majority, yeah. I'll agree with you on that.
2: I'll change. Yeah, if you, yes, if you, if you think, you for example, the, the existing integrations that Shopify has on their platform to TikTok and other social platforms, you can tie. If you're a Shopify merchant, you can tie all your product listings right off the bat in, into the TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. You have Twitter shops takes off. I'm sure they'll add that one later, but. So yeah, I would have to say majority. Yes, I would, I would agree with that. And actually, Jeff, you brought up like, like a TJ, X tj Maxx. So obviously those brands like them, they're not fans of e-commerce, but I, I wonder, would they have a different mindset around social commerce only because, and, I, and I'm thinking particularly of a brand like Home Goods, because Home Goods, in addition to living off of the treasure hunt, they already generate significant social traffic. From people just posting about their finds and what they found at a given store. So, do you think they would view social commerce differently than they view e-commerce?
5: No, and because it's the same issue. How do you how do you have social commerce if you don't have a or a a, a long-term plan on inventory? So, posting about your finds. I mean, that's that's right. history. Hey, I you know look at this look at this piece of data. You know, I found it's not. Hey, you can find this. Could be hundred percent wrong in that, but it's. Oh, so, it's just well, such a, a yeah,
2: foreign, but if you consider live stream. The current model. The, models.
4: Yeah. The current model that I agree with you, Jeff, the current model that TJ Maxx raw stores, those kinds have does not fit the models that we've been discussing and they don't have the infrastructure, nor do they have the, the, the will to, to spend that kind of money and investment because that will just upset the model
6: that they currently have. So I, I just don't think that, um, that will work for them. They won't work because they're there build the building, the treasure hunt and opportunistic merchandising buys that's in the marketplace. They can't necessarily predict what's going to be available in the next six months or, or anticipate demands on the, on the top trending items on, on course, the social channels where it could work is, is companies to have the agility and flexibility to pivot their designs and, and meet the, the surging consumer demands a lot faster than uh, necessarily a discount or off price retailer could. Like I can yeah. now we, of stores.
5: So I agree. So what would be interesting to see is if somebody like a Costco pivots to a social commerce model, even though they are also sort of a treasure hunt. But I mean, I, I can think of about a couple thousand dollars worth of stuff I've bought over the years with no desire. My my high-end blender being, being the number one thing, just walking through seeing the demonstration, boom, off we go. Maybe that's a different type of retail that might really embrace social that you wouldn't necessarily think of. I could, I could, yeah, you, you could especially see that in a uh, live Traeger streaming scenario, right? Here, um,
2: yeah. in the same way they do existing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I think, I think the way I look at a, a TJX, you know, so, so they, they introduced, I guess, it, was it right before the pandemic started on a Marshall's e-commerce site where they positioned it as it was going to be special merchandise that was still gonna try to promote the the flavor of the treasure hunt and that it wasn't gonna be the same thing always available day in, day out on that site and it, it speaks to me in terms of what, what if they look at limited drops and turned into events where again, the live streaming model maybe helps in a one-to-many scenario there and, and they treat it that way, which I agree, it's not the existing business model, right? It's a little bit of a pivot for them to do that, but still maybe on brand. And that, that's the way I'm thinking about it.
0: So I, I think th- this is a really interesting conversation, especially when you bring in TJ Maxx and home goods. We we personally actually have done some experiments and those models actually work perfectly for what we do because the, the inventory is changing so fast, they can never keep up with it. And the treasure hunt can really be enhanced with another human being like doing it, helping you in the store. So it's a very interesting concept. and. Same thing applies to like flea mm-hmm. markets, resale used clothing like stores, which is like really getting big. I think that's a, that's another very interesting side of the market for me, especially because that's like you know we could definitely make a difference in that. It's
2: ver- very much like a newer version of the flash sale.
4: Yeah, and your model, Darius, with the one-on-one, is ideally suited for that that type of an environment. It, it works as well in other environments, but where other models would not work, with a TGMX or a Ross Stores, yours definitely would, because you're bringing the shopper via video to that store to do to go and do their treasure hunt, and and that that will make it happen. And you know, you don't. Versus what we are discussing before about social commerce and the kind of investment and the visibility of the inventory and the systems and so on.
0: Yeah. I mean, outlets is another interesting concept, probably somewhat to that, or maybe not, but I mean, like, like Simon is really investing a lot into their outlets and how to bring e-commerce into their outlet malls. And it's good to see that. So, and, and it goes to like what Jeff was saying is like that direct integration to the inventory and supply chain is, is a lot harder to do when you get into these, like highly unique and fast moving inventory type situations.
6: So how do you tangibly analyze the impact of this? Because that, that path of purchase is so dynamic right now and it's so far from the linear understanding we had of it five years ago, 10 years ago, or even last year, it's, it's, it's pivoting so quickly. Ultimately it's about brand engagement and building trust and relationships with, with products and, and also influencers, it may actually lead to a Immediate conversion might lead to the customer going to a store or or shopping via e-commerce. It may lead to an engagement that leads to buying something months from now because of that that experience they had via via social commerce and live streaming or TikTok videos.
4: And that's why when I talk to retailers and
6: they're talking about, well, you know, e-commerce is giving us this
4: or the website, I'm going to, you don't know. You don't really know. You want, we need, we have this need. To, to be certain about things to have a number to have, be pers- precise will go 27.7 percent i mean it, it's still a guessing game because you don't understand how to really attribute that you you can get a direction get an idea but you you never really are going to be hundred percent confident of that uh, of the numbers that you think you're dealing with regarding the attribution and that exactly Brandon brings it to you know every every moment that you're interacting the brand and the and the shopper consumer the potential shopper it it has to be done the way that you would like it but again it's not a one-way communication mechanism anymore it's interactive there are influencers or opinion leaders that are now inserted in this and uh, just have to have a a broad brand message value proposition that you can then operationalize across those different points.
2: Yeah, I think those are excellent, excellent points. So we've had a really great discussion here on social commerce, we're going to go ahead and close out the room. And I'm going to thank everybody up here on, on stage today. This has been a really great dive into the nuances of social commerce. We do expect the majority of retailers to be very much involved in some form of social commerce, whether it's on one of the big social network platforms or whether it's engaging in live streaming, because it's where the customers are and you have to go where your customers are if you want to grow. So with that, again, thanks to all my speakers, thanks to the audience for joining joining us. Welcome back Retail Razor Show listeners. We hope you enjoy that great clubhouse discussion on social commerce.
3: Great discussion and incredibly disappointed I missed out on this one.
2: Yeah, we definitely missed you on that one, Casey, but fortunately you get to be here for the special discussion with our special guest on this very special topic. That's a lot of specials I worked in there, isn't it?
3: We noticed, but with the voice made for radio, no one's complaining. Oh, well, thank you. It
2: was really special.
3: (laughs) And on that note, let's introduce our extra special guest today. We have Alicia Esposito, VP of Content at Retail Touchpoints. She's here with us. Let's talk some shop. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me.
2: So this is a fun one for us this week and a little bit out of our normal routine. We usually invite someone who was in the clubhouse discussion. We just heard to come join us on the show, but this time Alicia, we thought this was a really good time to bring you back to the show. And I say back, cause you were on, in our episode last time when we talked about loyalty in the last clubhouse episode and plus I guess it was what last month when I was on your show retail remix and we talked about social yeah. commerce, right? So this kind of yeah. feels a little bit like a part two to that discussion.
7: Exactly. Because there's so much to unpack. And like, anytime you get me started on this topic, I can just go on <laughs> right. and on. Yeah, so. yeah, we can go for hours, <laughs> Not right? Not if
3: you give them the platform. So this is why we've never been on a call together.
7: <laughs>
3: <laughs> because it'll be like eight hours, right?
2: right? It, it'll and never it'll end. Yeah, we, we would never end. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like we've said before, I think the one comment we never get from listeners in our show is that, you know, if only you could make the episodes longer,
7: (laughs) I just need more content.
2: (laughs) Yeah. More content, more content. So obviously there's a lot to talk about because social commerce is just so big, you know, where, how retailers and brands are going to invest in it. I I think on, on your Shirley, I think we talked a little bit about live streaming too, right. And how that relates into social commerce. And that's, a worthy investment we see lots of folks making. You know, I think we we didn't quite touch on if there's an angle for retail media in, in social commerce, how do they all intersect? And uh, when we were talking ahead of time before we were recording here, you brought up something super interesting, I think. And maybe that's where we should start this conversation. And that's what are all the platforms that matter here? In the Clubhouse session, we talked about what I'll call the big three. It's Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, but they're not the only platforms. And Alicia, you, you mentioned uh, at least one that I had honestly kind of almost forgotten about, but but we shouldn't, right?
7: Right. Poor Pinterest. Everybody <laughs> forgets about them. <laughs> and I think it's largely because there there's this really close association with things like recipes, with even home renovations and home decorating. But there is a really clear opportunity for commerce, I think. It's just... They they haven't, it feels like they haven't really gone all in. But what I find really interesting right now is recently they acquired the yes, which, you know, they're kind of seeing as the vehicle or the driver for what they want their AI powered, highly curated shopping experience to look like. They actually indicated, you know, this is a fashion app, fashion platform. But we want to explore what this will look like in other categories. So I thought that was my first little hint of like, oh, they, they, it seems like they're going to try and double down on this or, or really in, invest in it. And we also recently covered that they have a new CEO, which is huge. And as we dug deeper into Bill Ready's credentials, most recently, president of commerce payments and next billion users for Google, like huge direct yeah, connection big. right there. Prior to that. EVP and COO of PayPal, and also held roles at Braintree and Venmo. And what I find interesting there, very payment-centric. That's true. And as I think about the challenges around social commerce, I mean, we we kind of chatted about this a little bit before we started recording, is that payment component, that payment experience is still very much disconnected and flawed. Right.
5: Yeah. And that,
7: you know, we talk about social commerce being a commerce moment inside of the platform and that's still very much not happening a lot of it is redirects and click-throughs it's still very much not to the level where people say oh this is where it needs to be
2: yeah that was one of the things we kept talking about in the clubhouse session too is it's it's not like a a thin veiled layer on top of e-commerce it needs to be its own commerce platform so just a click-through is not the same
3: the payment makes it commerce yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you need to yeah. pay. Where's you need to be able to pay for commerce. commerce. Is the commerce Otherwise, is it really
7: commerce? Discovery, inspiration, sure. Yeah. I mean, Pinterest is great because it is a content-driven platform, and we're seeing this really powerful intersection of content and commerce. The ones that invest in content are creating those moments that people feel inspired to act, but they may be inspired. But if you're not giving them that
3: next step, Yeah, but
2: without quickly the payments. And
3: easily, like, all right well now what yeah
2: you, you can't convert to a sale if there's no payment processing
3: <laughs> yeah i think it's really interesting pinterest has always done a really great job of pulling back the right content when you're looking for like google images so by them bringing somebody over with so deep over on the google side i think it could be completely detrimental to google shopping right yeah if Pinterest is able yeah. to take over google shopping because google shopping is not a great discovery or search experience and Pinterest has always been really great at a search experience and discovery. So yeah. Which
7: is funny you say that because I know they've been doing a lot of the analysis, they being Google around how they're improving their visual search capabilities mm-hmm. and how they're trying to make that more curated R and digital try-on capability. So it seems like they're almost working in parallel of each other. Yeah. Right now, I'm trying to kind of find that right mix of commerce capabilities for their businesses. So yeah, every, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Yeah,
2: everybody wants to converge, I think, on the right formula and flavor for social commerce. And, you know, it's interesting, you bring you bring up Google, right? But I think Google has another one of these platforms that are big, but seems to get left out of the social commerce and live streaming conversation, and that's YouTube. YouTube is, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. the king of, of video platforms, but... I don't think we usually think of YouTube when we start having live streaming conversations focused on commerce. Because again, in case you're going to say the same thing, it's where's the payments? <laughs> where's the payment part of the commerce equation that's where's still missing?
3: Where's the payment? Yeah, like it, I see a lot of it as ad tech.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's still designed and, or, and originally geared towards driving a click through, complete a transaction on an e commerce property rather than being the commerce transaction, you know, we, we throw around terms like shoppable video and shoppable images, meaning, uh, or by definition, it's not a click through. If I see the item I want to buy, if I'm clicking it, I expect to be taken to a payment mode and immediately complete a transaction. Uh, I, I always like to look at those and say, well, let's assume that the interface is there for that and they've integrated the payment processing. What's the rest of the purchase experience look like for the customer? How does the customer know exactly who they're buying it from? in that scenario and what's the post-purchase experience like so let's say i I order it that way how am i finding out how long it's going to take to ship to me and when i do get it if it's not right how do i handle a return who am i returning it to how do i connect with that business to process that return
7: right like if it happens through instagram would it be like an instagram dm yeah yeah or or do they create that direct link to the branded e-comm site which personally i would recommend because then you're kind of in Mm -hmm. this Little box of Instagram, which we all know that that has turned out for some folks in the past. It's it requires a lot of orchestration, and I think to your point, Ricardo, around what does that final selection and payment process look like? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'm still clicking on Instagram ads. I feel like I'm picking on Instagram. I'm sorry. On social I'm ads, <laughs> and it's a beautiful item. I guess I'm like, oh, I got to check this out. Click it. add of stock. Cross the board. It's not even like, oh, it's not my size. It's just completely out of stock. Yeah.
2: yeah. There's no inventory like, connection.
7: How, how is this still happening? And I know you have to manage all the content with like the buys and cool. I know it's complicated, but how are we expecting these brands to really master that commerce experience if they can't get the core of <laughs> what makes commerce seamless and good? That's not even nailed yet. Instagram
3: so. doesn't make money off of the conversion they make money off of mm-hmm. the traffic and then mm-hmm. and you don't have accountability for like the actual end result because they can't control it and they didn't build it and that's not how they monetize they're not making a percentage of net sales they're making money off of impressions and click-throughs whether or not somebody buys it or not i mean i see a lot i feel like the last 10 years like literally it's a million versions of Polyboard. Oh my gosh, bringing me back. <laughs> <laughs>
0: wow.
3: I didn't expect that long. It's a million versions of Polyboard. And we <laughs> haven't moved on to the next stage of integration with inventory, universal carts.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then just to throw another factor out there, how about making it more personalized? Shouldn't this somehow facilitate making it a more personalized shopping experience?
3: There's enough data to know the difference between me, Alicia, and you. Right. It just doesn't seem to get put together in a way that can distinguish one product from the next, one preference from the next. It'll be interesting because the yeses was built for to focus on building AI for fashion, to make it personalized using AI coming from Stitch Fix which boasts the best fashion AI in the world. So it'll be interesting to see.
7: I guess my follow-up question there would be like, is this going to be data that these platforms hold on to and kind of keep hostage from brands and retailers? Or is this going to be something that they open up? Because I know there have been qualms about and issues around the depth of data that these platforms provide and how sometimes that prohibits brands from creating that seamlessness that we're talking about. I don't know the answer. I'm not as like, yeah, deep well, dive it, into like- a, Who owns the stuff. customer
2: in that transaction, right? Is it, are, right. are you a Instagram or Pinterest customer or are you the retailer's customer at that point? Who, You know, who are you completing the transaction with? And to the shopper, who does it look like you're doing the transaction with? You know, forget who it is on the back end, but what does it look like to that customer? Who's benefiting? Which brand is benefiting from that customer's experience for better or worse? If it goes well or if it doesn't go well, who's the customer either praising or blaming for how well that transaction goes and who gets control over that?
3: Blaming is a really good there because a lot of e-commerce stores have close to 30% returns. Right. So... Whether or not you're, they're making these social commerce experiences and platforms Their business model isn't based off of the net result because it's really high return rates. Yeah. And they don't want to deal with customer service. They don't want to deal with returns. They don't want to make, have to go into their pockets if the customer decided not to keep it. I think there's going to have to be a, a lot more, the brands are adopting technology at a rate right now that I feel a lot of these social commerce platforms are going to have to step up to provide better integrations and better performance because the brands are getting savvy and they're getting better digital tech stacks and they're starting to have more of that direct to consumer experience. I think we have to remember a lot of retail has traditionally been not only physical, It's also been wholesale.
2: That's true. I'll add another variable to that. So, I mean, all of the things that we're talking about here on on the challenges side of the equation, part of me says if you're a really large retailer, where where normally we would say, oh, that gives them an advantage because they've got more resources to throw at it to solve this this problem. But maybe that's not the case in this. Maybe because of these challenges and because of all the the size of these social platforms and the amount of data and, and the intricacies, like the returns piece of it, Maybe if you're a smaller or mid-sized retailer, it might actually be easier for you to get in the middle of this social commerce and take advantage of it to gain customer mindshare and to build on that customer relationship in a way that's you can do faster and, and easier than some of the big guys. I often feel the same way with live streaming, that in some ways it's easier for the smaller brands to take advantage of live streaming than it is for the larger ones. And maybe that helps them build on, you know, whether they're building on momentum of a a shop local movement, or they're just building local community because they're a small store, but they have interesting curated products. It might actually be easier. I I don't know. What do you think?
3: I think that I'm going to add on to that so I can, we can go back to Alicia here for this because Pinterest has the SMB. They have the Etsy creators, Mm -hmm. the small to medium-sized businesses. Their CPM is not atrocious. I don't know anyone that will even work on a brand's, a fashion brand's media spend if they're not spending at least $60,000 a month. I don't know anybody that will even work on the account. And that's like a bare minimum. These SMBs can't afford that. But Pinterest already has that customer base. And they could really edge out an area for SMBs to actually be able to Compete and have and play because you can't really play on Instagram ads with, you know, a 10 to $20,000 budget. Like it's not moving your needle.
7: Right. Well, I've also seen a lot of a lot of negative reactions to Instagram really trying to be a video first platform now. (laughs) Like they are famous, go figure, go figure. And they're like, but you're a photo platform. And like their, their whole business, their bread and butter is creating content, right? Like I'm talking smaller brands or even influencers and content creators. So they're kind of throwing, throwing the whole toolkit that these, these entities, individuals or brands, Have spent years trying to build out and perfect. And they're basically like, all right, well, just video now. Some people hate video. Sometimes I don't want to, I don't want to look at it. I think sometimes the best Instagram content is a very nicely curated photo opportunity. So I think that that point you made around Pinterest being able to own that sweet spot, own the SMB, own the. The scaling brands, I think, is a
3: really interesting one. I'm curious if they're going to lean into that a lot. I feel that there's a a really good alignment between Pinterest and Etsy.
2: Uh, Mm -hmm. Still, that's a good point.
3: Still, a little bit shocked on like why they're not the same company yet. I mean, maybe give it a few weeks.
7: (laughs) (laughs) There are so many interesting acquisitions happening, right? Like some
2: really cool combinations here.
7: Right, or even a strategic partnership, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm also curious why, like they're not trying to make more of a connection to the big commerces, the Shopify's, because like that's that's their core as well. And I think it ties back to your point, Ricardo, that, you know, these smaller organizations, they really lean into content and creative as a way to reach their audience, connect with them. They, they know what their people like. You right. know what I mean? Like they have that deep relationship but they also have the, they may not have the capacity to scale as quickly or or funnel as much money into advertising, but they can test. They can stand up some pretty cool services and experiences relatively quickly. They can test something on Instagram and be like, you know what? Instagram's not right for us. Let's just focus on TikTok and Pinterest. Like they can make those moves in a way that I think the bigger brands can't, especially as we think about Okay, we have the branded account and then we have the individual store levels and we have X number of stores and who's managing these accounts and, well, oh, these associates are doing live streams. They have access to all, like it, it becomes like this, this big ball of complexity as we kind of get into the, how are we going to test these different,
3: these different offerings? So I think it, it's going to be really interesting to see what Pinterest might be able to do while... Instagram's figuring out that whole video because the only videos I see on Instagram are TikTok videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're just they're repurposed. Just repurposed. Yeah, just oh,
7: repurposed it'll get me TikTok. into the repurposing oh, yeah. conversation.
2: Oh, that, 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 yeah. that so that's like another episode, I think.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: that's like so the powerful, that's part
3: three and four, and four of the social
2: commerce discussion.
3: <laughs> yeah, there is a there is a huge opportunity there to uh, kind of come in, you know, move up a couple lanes coming around the corner here.
2: Yep. So I I guess we're kind of concluding here that uh, everybody should watch Pinterest as sort of the dark horse Uh, mm -hmm. that might upend the whole social commerce field and retailers should pay attention, not kind of forget about them the way we, we almost did until Alicia reminded us. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Glad to be of service
2: yeah particularly if you're in that smb retail space and I'm, I'm still going to throw out too let's not forget about youtube they've got to figure out how they're going to convert that into more of a social commerce platform it, it's almost there not quite but it, it seems like the base is there and the raw materials are there to, to make it work so we'll see how that goes Well, Alicia, this has been yet another fabulous discussion. I'm so glad you were able to join us today.
7: Yeah, me too. Thanks for inviting me.
2: Well, Casey, I think on that note, it's probably time to call this one a wrap.
3: That it is more to come. If you enjoy our show, please consider giving us that special five-star rating and review on Apple podcasts, smash that subscribe button in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a minute. Want to know more about what we talked about today? Take a look at the show notes for handy links and more dates. I'm your co-host, Casey Golden.
2: And if you'd like to learn more about us, follow us on Twitter at kccgolden Golden and Ricardo underscore Belmar, or find us on LinkedIn. Be sure and follow the show on LinkedIn and on Twitter at RetailRazor and on our YouTube channel for videos of each episode and some bonus content. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar.
3: Thanks for joining us.
2: And remember, there's never been a better time to be in retail if, you cut through the clutter. Until next time, this is the Retail Razor Show.